0: Uh, we all serve the pleasure of the president.
1: Hmm. Some may be more pleasurable than others. Your mileage may vary. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left me. Jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, i stuck. From Pacifica middle Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 7 so FM, FM no in, LA, noise in noise LA. In Oregon on 91.7, noise noise 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 it's FM Queso so in Cottage Grove. So In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI 92.9 FM. In Maui, Hawaii, on KAKU 88.5 FM. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on WLPP 102.9 FM. WPRR in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We are also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. Every day of the week on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week on those affiliates, those fine affiliates, and many others. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me. From bradblog.com, thank you for joining us today for yet another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Uh, Hey, uh, when do we get to the Make America Great Again part? Is that coming soon?
0: Are you tired of all the winnings?
1: Yes, I am. Uh, Or maybe we'll say uh, the Let the Bloodletting Begin (laughs) part, because that seems to be, or at least the resignations. Now, we told you on... uh, uh, that uh, Yesterday that a constitutional crisis was coming, and now I would say maybe sooner rather than later. More on that in a moment. Also, we have been warning you that the death of the White House and Senate GOP effort to repeal and replace or even just repeal the Affordable Care Act and health care to millions of Americans... Uh, The death of that scheme has been greatly exaggerated. Some things never die, it seems, particularly Republican zombie efforts to kill Obamacare. Votes on uh, GOP efforts to replace and or repeal are still being promised in the U.S. Senate in the days ahead, though it remains unclear, at least at this hour, what form those votes will take and if Senator Uh, Mitch McConnell, Senate leader Mitch McConnell, will be able to buy off enough votes for passage for any of those schemes. But he's got hundreds of billions of dollars to play with there. So it would be a huge mistake, in my opinion, to misunderestimate. Um, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans in the Senate there. And at the same time, the White House appears to have begun an actual sabotage effort in earnest now to undermine Obamacare itself in lieu of their ability to kill uh, the repeal of the law outright for the moment. I'll be joined by uh, by my by my guests momentarily to discuss Those apparently increasing efforts to harm the law by the administration, to undermine, yes, to sabotage the law, which has led to access uh, to health care for well over 20 million Americans. So, of course, they need to destroy it. Also. Also, too, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report, that yes. voice you heard before. Uh, that's coming up a little bit later. Um, d- does it feel hot out there? Well, it's no, it's not your imagination. It is hot out there. We've been dealing with record heat in recent weeks out here in the Southwest. Um, and now the Midwest and the Northeast, uh, among other places in the U.S., are getting pounded right now. And, yes, 2017 is already breaking new global heat records.
0: Fun, fun, fun.
1: Despite global warming being a hoax and all.
0: <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah.
1: That, uh, oh, and also the uh, Trump administration um, is uh, making things much. W- speaking of sabotage, sabotaging the actual planet, the actual globe. Uh, so Trump administration is making things worse on that score, even as California tries to fight back. That's coming up uh, and more on our latest green news report later in the show. Uh, <clears throat> well, we told you, as I said on our last episode, that we are now quickly barreling towards a constitutional crisis. Um, and since that show, evidence has grown to support that claim. We will uh, we'll, let's start here. Uh, now this first item isn't necessarily a part of a constitutional crisis yet, but it's definitely the sign of a White House in crisis. Or at least in crisis mode. Sean Spicer, you may have heard, the White House press secretary, resigned on Friday morning after denouncing chaos in the West Wing and telling President Trump he vehemently disagreed with the appointment of a New York financier, a 29 year old, uh, 29 year old, 29 year -year Wall Street (laughs) veteran. Uh, and and yet another Goldman Sachs executive, by the way, a guy by the name of Anthony Scaramucci.
0: This is really the Goldman Sachs cabinet.
1: It is. Uh, remember I pretended to uh, d- d- claim that Hillary was corrupt because of all her dealings with Gold- Goldman Sachs?
0: Smell the populism.
1: That was cute. Uh, anyway, uh, so Scaramucci will be the new communications director at the White House. White House Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders is the uh, new press secretary to take Sean Spicer's uh, role, according to an on-camera briefing today at the White House, the first one in weeks for this White House. Here is Huckabee Sanders, by the way, the daughter of Mike Huckabee,
0: Former governor of Arkansas, former presidential candidate.
1: And Bernie Sanders, I think, is how that <laughs> Oh, is that works how out. that works? Yeah, I think that's what that is. <laughs> uh, anyway, not fake news at all. Uh, anyway, here's uh, Huckabee Sanders and her statement from the president about the resignations and the new hire.
0: I'd like to read a statement from the president on the resignation of Press Secretary Sean Spicer. I'm grateful for Sean's work on behalf of my administration and the American people. I wish him continued success as he moves on to pursue new opportunities. Just look at his great television ratings. Sean will continue to serve the administration through August, and the President has also appointed Anthony Scaramucci as Communications Director, and I have a statement on Anthony's appointment as well. Anthony is a person I have great respect for, and he will be an important addition to this administration. He's been a great supporter and will now help implement key aspects of our agenda while leading the communications team. We have accomplished so much, and we are being given credit for so little. The good news is the people get it, even if the media doesn't.
1: Okay, then. I guess I'm part of the media, because I don't get it. Uh, Nonetheless, White House staffers uh, were reportedly shocked by Spicer's sudden and surprise departure on Friday, according to several different news outlets. Uh, The Times says that Trump offered Mr. Scaramucci, a fundraiser and television campaign surrogate, the job at 10 a.m. on Friday. The president requested that Spicer stay on, but Spicer told Trump that he believed the appointment was a major mistake. Scaramucci's appointment was a major mistake, according to several people with direct knowledge of the exchange. Scaramucci, who founded the global investment firm Skybridge Capital and is a Fox News Channel contributor, naturally, is known for his spirited on-air defenses uh, for Mr. Trump, but he also enjoys good relationships with journalists from an array of outlets, including uh, those that the president has labeled fake news, like CNN. Uh, and he was, in fact, he spoke at that uh, hearing today, at that briefing today, Scaramucci did, and I thought he was excellent.
0: Yeah, he did a good job. A and Very he, good communicator. He definitely looks the part, and we know that that's very important to Trump.
1: And he talked about how much he loves the president, literally. He used the word love about 15 times, yeah. uh, more than he used the word uh, loyal and loyal, uh, loyalty to the, uh, to the president, serving the president who he loves. Uh, Spicer had hoped to last a year in his role as press secretary, according to the the Times. Instead, he lasted just six months and one day. His rumored departure had been one of the longest-running internal sagas in the administration, brimming with dissension and intrigue. A former Republican National Committee spokesman and strategist, Spicer was a frequent target of the president's ire, but, to be fair, Who hasn't been? Uh, During the first few months of the administration, uh, in particular, uh, Spicer came under the wrath of Donald Trump. His resignation is a serious blow to the embattled White House chief of staff, Reince Priebus, the former Republican Party chair who brought Spicer into the West Wing, despite skepticism about him by Trump, who initially questioned Spicer's loyalty. In an earlier report in the New York Times, they had uh, reported that it was unclear if Scaramucci's appointment would be blocked by Reince Priebus. The uh, White House chief of staff officials had said that Priebus helped jettison an earlier plan to put Scaramucci in the White House Office of Public Liaison. Mr. Priebus was not aware of the expected appointment before it was made public, according to the senior administration official who spoke to the Times on the condition of anonymity. So think of that. According to The New York Times, Reince Priebus, the chief of staff to the president, did not even know about the appointment of the new communications director before the appointment was announced publicly. According to The New York Times, if they're right on that, that's kind of amazing. CNN reports that Spicer, Priebus and chief strategist Steve Bannon, quote, found themselves largely in the dark, unaware of the president's already firm intention to tap Scaramucci, largely at the urging of his son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner and his daughter Ivanka. Spicer, Priebus and Bannon are all said to have fiercely opposed the hiring of Scaramucci. Uh, For his part, Spicer uh, said it was an honor and a privilege to serve Mr. Trump, tweeting that today on on the Twitters. During the transition, Trump had planned to appoint Scaramucci, uh, the 52 year old Harvard Law graduate from Long Island, as director of the Office of Public Liaison. But the offer was pulled at the request of Priebus over concerns about Scaramucci's overseas investments We'll keep our eyes on that. That, Not not that that sort of thing has ever caused problems for this administration before.
0: Conflicts of interest, maybe?
1: Uh, His appointment Friday came two months after the short-lived tenure of the previous communications director. That would be Mike Dubke. Ever heard of him? Uh, He stepped down just after two months. Trump made the appointment over the objection of Previous, who thought that Scaramucci lacked the requisite organizational or political experience. But the president believed uh, he was uh, Scaramucci, who was a ferocious defender of Trump on cable TV, was best equipped to play the same role in house. And he offered him a role with far reaching powers independent of Priebus's, according to the Times report here. There was some question at the hearing today whether um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders would report to Scaramucci. Uh, And whether Scaramucci would report directly to the president or to the president's chief of staff, which which is is normally the the way it would go. Yeah. Spicer uh, Sean Spicer flatly rejected the president's offer of a position that was subordinate to Scaramucci, according to two administration officials. Spicer, uh, according to several people close to him, was tired of being blindsided by Trump most recently this week when the president gave a lengthy interview to The New York Times in which he questioned the appointment of Attorney General Jeff Sessions. I think he did more than question the appointment of Jeff Sessions. He slammed Jeff Sessions. Um, Spicer was also weary of the daily dressings down. That he received, apparently, and he was uh, and he instituted the highly contentious practice of holding off air briefings, less so to snub reporters than to avoid Trump's critiques of his performance, according to one of Spicer's friends. So apparently that's why we haven't had cameras in the uh, White House press briefing, because uh, Donald Trump (laughs) was attacking Sean Spicer after them all the time.
0: Yeah, Spicer got tired of getting yelled at all the time. Now, I do want to point out one thing about Scaramucci is that he does have no Organizational communications experience. No professional. I'm a commun. I'm a compu- communications director. He's only been on TV. He doesn't really have this professional experience, so it's kind of unusual. That yeah, but you know appointed.
1: what? He's really good on TV. He is. He's really good on TV. And he
0: at one point said that he would uh, that he thought that Donald Trump was a hack, and he apologized profusely in the press briefing today. So clearly, he's he's found where his uh, his butter is being breaded. I mean, his bread is being buttered. Butter, yeah,
1: either. <laughs> way. Uh, all right, now now uh, we're getting um a, a little bit more constitutional crisis here. Uh, on Thursday, the spokesman for Trump's outside legal counsel, Mark Corallo, also resigned. Uh, that was on Thursday night. The spokesman for Trump's legal team resigned within two months of being on the job. Corallo, the spokesman, had grown frustrated, apparently, with the operation and the warring factions and lawyers, people familiar with the matter said. According to Politico, Corallo also was concerned about whether he was being told the truth about various matters. One of the uh, people uh, told, uh, told Politico, in particular, Corallo had been uh, close to special counsel Robert Mueller, who was leading the Team Trump Russia investigation and had praised Mueller publicly and he didn't like the strategy to attack Mueller's credibility which as of Thursday night was reported out in great detail by the Washington Post and others they are going after Mueller any way that they can Corallo had told an associate uh, an associate that the dynamics in the White House were untenable and that there was quote too much fighting all the time, in the words of one person who spoke to him, uh, Corallo had been a longtime crisis communications guru, so he's used to dealing with crises, and even he couldn't uh, take all of the infighting that was going on.
0: You couldn't take uh, all the crises.
1: <laughs> yeah, apparently he had. Uh, he had also worked for John Ashcroft at the Justice Department in the George W. Bush administration. He was able to weather that and all of those crises that came along with. With that administration, but apparently this was too much. So, uh, the guy who heads up, uh, or at least the spokesperson for this outside legal team, he's now out as well. Uh, but here's uh, here's where we're nearing the constitutional crisis, where where that begins to come into light here, and echoes the the clip that we played yesterday from uh, former Obama Justice Department spokesman Matt Miller, uh, who is predicting that special counsel. Robert Mueller and perhaps other top law enforcement officials at DOJ, like Attorney General Jeff Sessions, he's predicting they will likely be fired uh, if and when Mueller's investigation begins to get too close to the, to the Trump family, to, to his family, to him and members like uh, Jared Kushner and his daughter Ivanka, and that he says he sees no, uh, no way that this does not become, in Matt Miller's word, a, quote, major, major crisis. So writing over a Talking Points memo, Josh Marshall seemed to echo that assessment um, in this uh, report, uh, as, as he reported very, very late last night. The Times and The Post tonight both have stories out reporting the Trump legal team's expanding war against Special Counsel Robert Mueller and, hyperbolic as it may sound to say, his war against the law itself. The larger story especially from the Post, is that the president refuses to allow the law to apply to himself or his family. And then he goes through the key items from those Times and Post reports, such as the president's legal team conducting opposition research against Mueller and his team, uh, trying to find conflicts of interest and uh, generally discredit the investigation any way that they can to lay the groundwork for his dismissal. Apparently, they're not finding much so far, however, at least according to the papers. He then notes Mark Corallo the respected, albeit partisan, Republican lawyer who had served as the spokesman for Trump's legal team. Um, he had his professional relationship with Mueller and made clear he would not be party to attacks on Mueller's character or integrity. He has now resigned, as I noted. Uh, Also, relatedly, the president and his legal team are attempting to prescribe a narrow uh, ambit, as Josh says, for uh, Mueller's probe. Basically, anything outside the four walls of the 2016 election is off limits, according to Trump, including his family's business operations, perhaps even his family's business operations during the 2016 election. But he notes this is not remotely how these kind of investigations work in this specific case. Uh, Rod Rosenstein, the deputy AG who uh, took over oversight of the uh, Team Trump-Russia probe after Sessions had to recuse himself due to his own undisclosed uh, uh, contacts with Russia, Uh, Rosenstein gave Mueller a broad mandate to go where the facts lead him. This is not an argument, says uh, Marshall, that would convince any lawyer or judge. It is a political argument to lay the groundwork for Mueller's dismissal only. There is nothing here that says he can't look into their uh, various business arrangements. The president is asking his lawyers about his power to pardon aides and members of his own family, and yes, even him himself, according to that report from The Washington Post last night. Um, Trump's longtime lawyer, Mark Kasowitz, now appears to be being pushed out. As the president's lawyer. So, all of that is going on. All of that was in the Times and um, Post reports. And there are a lot of details here, but, uh, says Josh, each has the same effect. Trump will define the scope of Mueller's investigation. Mueller will continue his investigation only as long as Trump wants. Trump and his spokespeople have now repeatedly said that the president reserves the right to fire Mueller. The president is also prepared to pardon some or all of the people under investigation. And the upshot here, Mueller can do only what the president allows. That amounts to saying that the president will not allow the law to operate with respect to him or his family. From a different perspective. We're beginning to see what everyone who's studied Trump's business history knows, says Josh. Trump's business would not survive the first contact with legal scrutiny. So he made clear in uh, in that uh, Times interview that any review of his family or his family's business history would be unacceptable, which is kind of amazing. Uh, His primary frustration centers on why allegations that his campaign coordinated with Russia should spread into scrutinizing many years of Trump dealmaking. He told aides he has uh, was especially disturbed after learning that Mueller would be able to access several years of his tax returns, all of which has left him fuming in recent weeks. Now, Josh says that it is quite remarkable that in this wide-ranging investigation into the campaign itself that Trump could have any expectation expectation that his tax returns would somehow remain off-limits to Mueller. And if you think about it, I mean, it's one thing to release these things publicly, but these are, after all, government documents, tax returns. And the government is allowed to look at them in these investigations. These are not uh, you know, they're very confidential, but they're not like, uh, you know, psychological profiles or something, uh, medical records from the military or something like that. So Josh goes on to say, what it all comes down to is this. President Trump has been in crooked business for decades. Money laundering, mob partnerships, various straight up swindles. Anyone, he notes, who has been in business for decades would not welcome a searching legal scrutiny of years of business. No one would like this. But Trump is willing to run the most unimaginable political and even criminal risks in order to block even the beginnings of a serious probe into his business history and into the 2016 election. He concludes this way. We are far, far past the point where there is any credible reason to doubt that President Trump is hiding major and broad ranging wrongdoing. No mix of ego. Inexperience, embarrassment, or anything else can explain his behavior now. It just can't. He's hiding bad acts. And the country is likely heading toward a major constitutional and political crisis because Trump is signaling that he will not allow the normal course of the law to apply to him. A challenge which puts the entire edifice of democratic government under threat. I don't know if he's right about that, um, but it's uh, we're beginning to hear that more and more and more, that we are barreling straight towards a constitutional crisis here. And, you know, we're all having fun. Oh, Sean Spicer, he's, he's funny on CSNL, they make fun of him. But at the heart of everything that's going on here is something that could be very real and very disturbing in this country. Now, while all of that is going on, Uh, mixed with the resignation of uh, Sean Spicer, etc., it's it's easy to lose track of the fact that Senate Republicans are still hoping to vote in the coming days on killing the Affordable Care Act and taking access to health care away from tens of millions of Americans. Don't lose sight of that. And even if the Senate themselves cannot get this done, and I think they will, But even if they can't, the Trump administration is already taking steps to derail Obamacare by actually sabotaging the law itself. Paul Krugman in The Times today notes, when Trump threatens to let Obamacare fail, what he's really threatening is to make it fail. And he appears to be right. He appears to be doing just that. That story with someone who can speak to the very latest tricks and sabotage, and there is uh, quite a bit of it being carried out by the administration to harm the law with little public notice of, of what they're doing here and the effect that that will have on the continuing success of the so far very successful Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, if you prefer. That story is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs>
0: And thanks. All
1: right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. No, the Trump Republican effort to kill Obamacare dead is itself. Not dead, as we have been warning you for some time, not by a long shot, despite previous reports of the demise of the GOP schemes to repeal and replace or just repeal the Affordable Care Act. That despite... The 22 million to 32 million that would lose access to health care coverage, depending on which version of the bill the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office has analyzed. On Thursday, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, who had previously said he was a no on the first two iterations of the Senate GOP's so-called Better Care Reconciliation Act, has now said he will vote to allow the motion to proceed to debate in the U.S. Senate. So long as his amendment to simply kill Obamacare entirely is allowed up for a vote as well. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has apparently uh, promised that to him. He has also, uh, McConnell has reportedly been using access to hundreds of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars from Affordable Care Act taxes now to try and buy off the support from the more moderate wing of the Senate GOP caucus. And so, at least in my continuing estimation, it would be a huge mistake for supporters of the current health care law to lower their guard at this point. Friday was a day of call-in action for supporters of the ACA, urging voters to call their senators to demand that they vote against the Obamacare repeal bills that uh, could be offered over the next week in the U.S. Senate. For his part, after revealing in a New York Times interview on Wednesday night that President Donald Trump doesn't actually appear to understand the GOP bills or Obamacare or, frankly, even the difference, and this is amazing, between health insurance and life insurance. No, really, go read that interview in the New York Times. Uh, In the wake of that, Trump has so far called for a repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act with whatever the GOP Congress can pass. B, just repealing the ACA entirely and worrying about a replacement later, if ever. Or C, just letting Obamacare wither on the vine until he believes the Democrats will come crawling to him for help. As I have always said... Real Donald Trump tweeted on Tuesday after it looked like the GOP effort was once again dead. Let Obamacare fail and then come together and do a great health care plan. Stay tuned, he tweeted. But there's also another tactic the administration has taken to kill the health care law, which analysts say is now healthier and more popular than ever. Don't just wait for it to fail. Go kill it. Kill it through policy. Kill it through uh, all sorts of tools that the administration has in its tool belt to undermine the Affordable Care Act. And there is much effort there uh, that has been underway for some months, it appears, and is now being ramped up by the administration. On Thursday, Sam Stein at the Daily Beast rounded up a number of efforts that the administration has taken, specifically its Health and Human Services Secretary, to actually harm the law itself, including the use of a series of propaganda videos made with taxpayer money to claim the ACA was actually hurting people, and a number of changes to the HHS website as well as the HealthCare.gov uh, exchange website to make signing up for health care more confusing and more difficult. Some of these uh, actions are legally questionable, to be frank, according to experts. The White House has also threatened to stop paying cost-sharing subsidies to insurers, has already shortened the open enrollment period for 2018 by 45 days, and has pulled ads to notify Americans about their ability to sign up for health care. And on Thursday, the Associated Press reported President Donald Trump's administration has ended Affordable Care Act contracts that brought assistance into libraries, businesses and urban neighborhoods in 18 cities, meaning shoppers on the insurance exchanges will have uh, fewer places to turn for help signing up for coverage. Community groups say the move announced to them by contractors just last week will make it even more difficult to enroll the uninsured and help people already covered re-enroll or shop for a new policy. That, according to AP. So is this a pattern of sabotage? If so, what will be the effects on the Affordable Care Act? And what else could the administration do here to actually undermine current law of the United States of America. And by the way, is that even lawful? Joining us now to discuss this is Elizabeth Hagan. She is the Associate Director of Coverage Initiatives at Families USA, a nonpartisan healthcare policy advocacy group where she focuses on enrollment policy. Prior to joining Family USA, Ms. Hagan was a policy analyst with Enroll America, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to maximize the number of Americans who enroll in and retain health care coverage. Now, there's an idea. Elizabeth uh, Hagen, welcome to the broadcast.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: Really appreciate you joining us today. All right, so I need some help here. What What is this program that the administration appears to be undermining? Uh, as reported by AP, with the ending of these contracts to groups who, who, I guess, reach out to folks in in communities in these 18 different cities?
2: That's absolutely correct. And I first want to say, you know, you painted a very clear picture of the the efforts being done by the Trump administration um, without repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act. There's a lot of things that the Trump administration can do to undermine the law, and this is just one clear example of that that's come up in the last week. So these programs um, are... uh, a- allow people to enroll in coverage through the help of free in-person assistance, which is really critical to make sure that people can actually enroll in coverage mm-hmm. and, and, and get the coverage that they want and need. And this was aided, uh, additional assistance that was provided in some of the cities with the highest numbers of uninsured. So c- cities like Houston, uh, Cleveland, Chicago, Dallas, cities across the country that really had high numbers of uninsured and that this additional assistance is going to be taken away.
1: Mm. Is Is there a A relationship, uh, as you see it, between these uh, specifically these cities that are being uh, targeted by this uh, by by ending these contracts and the fact that a lot of these large cities, uh, well, A, uh, tend to support the Affordable Care Act, but B, do not support Donald Trump. Is 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 there a relationship here that that you can see?
2: Well, these cities did have this additional level of in-person enrollment assistance before the Mm -hmm. Trump administration came in, but it is uh, alarming that they're going to be taking away that assistance because it is these cities typically have people that are lower income and would benefit from the Affordable Care Act in ways that... that they're not going to be able to get
1: that assistance anymore. And so how detrimental is is this specifically uh, expected to be um to to the you know continuation and the continuing health of the Affordable Care Act itself? Will this have a a large effect, as far as you can tell?
2: Well, the good news is that there still is enrollment assistance that will be available. Um, There still is funding for navigator programs provided throughout the country to make sure that that assistance is still there, but that additional benefit in those cities with high number of uninsured will go away. But the question about the importance of in-person assistance is really an important question, and it's very clear from from the first open enrollment period till now that in-person assistance is critical to making sure that people know about and enroll in coverage. You see that consumers that have in-person assistance are twice as likely to successfully enroll as those who didn't and I would argue that that's probably even more likely now given that all the rhetoric and, and attempts to undermine the law is going on that that in-person assistance now is going to be even more critical than it has been in the past
1: is is there a uh, is there a non sabotage reason for canceling these contracts, as far as you can tell, Liz. I mean, I, it, it's unclear why the administration is doing this. I, 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 you know, it's not actually a lot of money, as I understand. So to suggest it's a, some sort of a cost-saving uh, scheme doesn't seem right. Uh, is there some other reason they would want to cancel these, uh, these contracts? Were they not successful in the past?
2: I think it's pretty clear that this is part of a larger effort to sabotage and undermine the Affordable Care Act, absolutely.
1: Uh, As noted, uh, the White House has uh, wavered routinely on whether to pay these so-called cost-sharing reductions uh, that insurers and and virtually every health uh, economist say are necessary to keep the market stable. Can you explain what those cost-sharing reductions are that – The Trump administration now seems to be threatening to withdraw, and and how would that harm uh, Obamacare if Trump decided to to do that?
2: Yeah, you've seen a lot of headlines recently about uh, health insurance companies leaving the market in certain areas, and the number one reason that they're citing in doing that is because they don't know if they'll continue to get those cost sharing reduction payments that they've that they've offered in the past, and that's another attempt by Trump to undermine the law. The cost sharing reductions help people afford out-of-pocket costs that they get, so co-pays, co-insurance, and that sort of thing. And consumers that are enrolled in marketplace coverage have benefited from that greatly, and the pulling back of that funding will mean that some issuers are no longer going to offer plans, and people will be left without coverage options to help reduce the cost of their coverage
1: is that left up to the president in other words isn't that written into the law this uh, the these uh, premium subsidies and so forth i mean that seems to me to be the very heart of the law is that left at the discretion of the president?
2: Well, there's a current lawsuit that's taking place right now, um, so there's a couple of different things that could happen. That Trump administration could decide, and we would urge them to do so to pay, continue to pay those cost sharing reduction payments. The other option, and I think far less likely, would be that the House decides to the House of Representatives decides to appropriate that money to to make sure that that funding is still available and coverage is still there. I would say there are some even Republican senators and congressmen uh congress that are saying that they understand the need for this funding and we would urge them to continue to raise that up and make sure that that's that is available
1: but it's not statutory it's not part of the law itself as far as far as a requirement it's it's left to the executive branch to decide how much and if those uh those dollars get 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 paid out here
2: it is part of the statute, but the question that's being debated in the in the court system right now is whether that funding was authorized to be funded, or that, that program was offer, authorized to be funded.
1: During the uh, tail end of the uh, 2017 enrollment period, uh, Health and Human Services uh, pulled television advertisement and I guess temporarily suspended social media efforts alerting consumers to the final sign-up date. Uh, Now uh, the administration has said that the uh, open enrollment period for 2018 will be half as long as it has been in in previous years. Uh, Do we have any sort of measure of what harm that that will do to the Affordable Care Act?
2: Yeah, I would say leading into this next open enrollment period, there's sort of what I consider to be a perfect storm of potential for a lot of confusion and people not enrolling in coverage. You've got a shorter open enrollment period, you have less people that are available to help people enroll in coverage, a lot of rhetoric about some intentional and some just confusion that's natural for consumers to have um, about whether the ACA is still there and whether people can still enroll in coverage and get financial assistance. Um, And then the the added thing is that the Department of Health and Human Services and the Trump administration is not going to be paying for some of that marketing that we've relied on. Uh, As you mentioned, at the end of the last open enrollment period, that got cut. And because of that, we saw lower enrollment numbers, especially in the last two weeks of open enrollment, um, which is a lot of times when people come and enroll because they have that deadline to enroll. and, Mm -hmm. And that led to a less number of people enrolling than last
1: year. Yeah, I think the current uh, schedule they they have set for 2018, uh, the open enrollment period, I think, ends in mid-December. It doesn't even go through the end of the year. I think that's going to be uh, seemingly troubling for for a lot of people and confusing for a lot of people. What what else do you fear, um, uh, Liz, that uh, Trump and the administration can do at this point to make... The Affordable Care Act fail. I want to ask you about these these votes coming up or threatened to come up in the Senate and what that might mean. But presuming uh, the the Senate uh, can't agree on how to move forward. What else could the executive branch? What else could could Trump himself do here to to make the uh, ACA fail uh, that you are concerned about? And uh, frankly, will he do it?
2: Well, I think there's always a question about whether Trump, uh, what he'll do next. But I think the, the one of the big concerns that we have is whether he'll continue to enforce the individual mandate that requires most people to have coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really critical component to any of any health reform that's being looked at, that individual mandate piece of it. And there's questions about whether they'll continue to enforce that. And even if they do decide to continue to enforce it, there's a lot of opportunity for them to to you know, let people think that they're not enforcing it mm-hmm. and lead to confusion around that. You heard right after the uh, inauguration, for example, the executive order that he signed that led a lot of people to think that he was dismantling the Affordable Care Act when that wasn't the reality. So there's there's a lot of potential about the individual mandate that would be problematic.
1: It seems like, uh, you know, for all of these years, we've, we've heard from Republicans uh, that uh, Obamacare is failing. It's in a death spiral, everything else. Um, it seems to me that by all objective uh, numbers, as far as uh, popular support, as far as the number of signups, as far as, uh, frankly, profits to the uh, private health insurance industry, it seems like uh, the, uh, the Affordable Care Act is only failing... Where Republicans seem to be killing it on purpose. I know there's areas where it needs to be fixed, um, but uh, would do you agree with that assessment that the law is in general working and uh, is not in the uh, death spiral? Is not dead as Donald Trump seems to keep saying over and over again? Yeah,
2: absolutely right. The ACA is is doing well is helping provide coverage to people that didn't have it before. You can see also that a lot of the insurance companies are finally seeing a stable, more stable market, and the only stability, instability that they're seeing is due to the Trump administration. So. Anything that's saying the ACA is failing is due to what what is being debated right now in the Congress and what's being pushed for by the administration.
1: I know that Families USA was a uh, was instrumental in the in the uh, 2009 2010 passage of the Affordable Care Act. You were supportive of that effort, but what what really does need uh, fixing uh, and improving on on this uh, law? Never mind whether uh, Republicans are going to do it for a second. What would you like to see uh, corrected in this law? Moving Forward, if if that was possible.
2: Well, if you ask consumers about their biggest concerns, I think across the board you'd see that affordable options is the biggest thing, and that includes premiums and out-of-pocket costs. And what's really problematic is that the efforts being taken and the um, proposals being looked at in Congress right now are, would lead to much more unaffordable options, and would leave it so that people with pre-existing conditions, for example are potentially charged more than they than they would if they were um, healthy. And so we're moving exactly in the wrong direction with what Congress is being with Congress what they're looking at. We want to see more affordable options so that they can people can get the care that they need and and this is certainly not the way that we want that to happen.
1: And the other yeah, the other ahead.
2: piece of it too is Medicaid expansion and we would love to see more states expand Medicaid to provide coverage for low-income people uh, often who are working and are working low-wage jobs that don't offer health insurance. We'd love to see more states take that option up to provide that benefit to its residents.
1: I know this is a, a tricky business here, trying to read uh, tea leaves, and particularly these tea leaves. But um, <laughs> well, what do you see happening now in in uh, in the U.S. Senate uh, in in the coming days? Uh, it seems like it's going to be harder, not easier, to get anything uh, through now that uh, John McCain is ailing and won't be back. It seems, at least. Uh, uh, for a week or so, and yet Mitch McConnell has said, yeah, we're going to hold votes on this. We're actually going to have these votes. Is there any possibility that you see it, that they could actually pass something through the U.S. Senate at this point?
2: Well, I think we none of us should, sh- should let our guard down. All of us should be continuing to talk about the issues that matter. I think they're very desperate to get something done on mm-hmm. health care or whatever it may be before they go on to recess. But um, and it's anyone's guess, but I would say, you know, one minute it's repeal, one minute it's repeal and replace. The next minute it's something that they're they're not looking at anymore. Um and we really need to keep pushing on this as a As um, people that would be affected by this and and let our senators and let our House of Representatives members know about the impact that this would have. So I hope that it does not pass. I hope that we, this is something that's moved, we move on from this and people can continue to get the coverage that they need. But until we're really told very clearly that that's going to happen, we can't let our guard down.
1: Is that still uh, the recommendation to, uh, to 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 call your in this case senators, but uh, I guess House people as uh, House members as well? If in fact this passes out of the, uh, the Senate, is that the most effective way that you see uh, for the public to uh, to take action here?
2: Certainly raising voices, raising the stories that people are have, you know, the real experiences that consumers have seen um, firsthand is always really helpful, sharing stories with, with friends and family that can get involved in, as well. We're seeing an outpouring of support for the Affordable Care Act that we've never seen before, and that's because people are realizing what's at stake if, if it's taken away, and, and letting uh, policy makers, letting your governor, letting whoever it is, know about the benefits is really critical because there are even in states with uh, two Republican governors, there could be a Democratic or two, two sorry, Republican, two senators, Republican yeah. senators. Yeah, there could be a Republican uh, uh, a governor that would be willing to to voice the support
1: for this. And that's what we have seen in uh, that has made a difference in places like Nevada and potentially Arizona, where you do have uh, Republican governors, but. Uh, They know that hundreds of thousands of their own constituents have uh, enjoyed health care coverage where they didn't have it before, and uh, that seems right now, that along with the people uh, raising their voices and making noise, seems to be the difference, seems to be right now at least the firewall uh, to protect health care to tens of millions of Americans. Uh, Elizabeth Hagen, uh, associate director of coverage initiatives at Families USA, uh, you are very clear and very helpful on these uh, on these issues. I want to point folks to FamiliesUSA.org for more information and to your Twitter feeds at FamiliesUSA and your own personal uh, Twitter feed, where you have been tweeting up a storm of late uh, at Hagan underscore Elizabeth. Really appreciate you joining us today, Liz.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: You bet. Okay. Focus, 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 people. Phone number, by the way, for the U.S. Senate is 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. You may want to write that down. It may be handy for, come in handy for a few days uh, as this moves forward. All right. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report with the one and only Desi Doyan. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate and thanks.
0: I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me. Galileo, Galileo, Galileo,
1: Galileo, Galileo, Galileo. Welcome back, yes. It is the broadcast, and that is our way of uh, I get Instead of the Green News Report theme song, there, that is uh, our way of uh, tipping our hat of welcoming Anthony Scaramucci, <laughs> Scaramouche, uh, Scaramouche, as the uh, new communications director now, uh, which uh, led to the firing. No, not the firing. The resignation of Sean Spicer, White House press secretary, today. Um. Okay, there we go. Uh, And with that out of the way, I guess let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. Climate change is real. It is a threat to organized human existence.
0: California legislature extends landmark cap and trade program. But I think the lungs of people in California are actually more important than the market. Environmental justice groups say it's not enough. Trump administration reopens the U.S. Arctic for offshore drilling. Plus, do you remember how hot June was? It was so hot. The planes were grounded. They couldn't fly. June was the third hottest on record globally, and 2017 is already breaking
1: records. All of those broken records and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman.
0: And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand
1: by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. It is a threat organized human existence maybe not in my life i'll be dead but a lot of you people are going to be alive don't threaten me jerry brown this is your green news report Okay, Desiree, you've got an update on the small and disorganized (laughs) Tropical Storm Dawn.
0: Yes, as we reported in our last episode, the completely coincidentally named Tropical Storm Dawn is now weakening in the Caribbean as forecast. But now, also completely coincidentally, the next storm that forms in the Pacific will be called Tropical Storm Hillary. Oh,
1: man. I kid you not. Um, Don't get excited about it. I think it will never pan out. Oh. Just saying.
0: Ouch. Meanwhile, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration announced this week that June 2017 was the third hottest June ever recorded for the planet. Plus, so far, the first half of 2017 is already the second hottest globally, second only to 2016. Now, Scientists say that is remarkable in the absence of an El Nino to boost global temperatures. 2017 so far is beating all previous record years except for or the super El Nino year of 2016.
1: So were it not for the El Nino last year, which always makes it a little bit warmer this would definitely be the hottest year on record, at least to date.
0: Yeah, probably.
1: Hey, fantastic news.
0: In California, after a bruising battle and some horse trading with the oil industry, the California State Legislature this week passed major bipartisan legislation to extend the state's landmark cap-and-trade system through 2030. It caps carbon emissions from polluting industries that cause global warming and allows them to trade permits to pollute. During the intense negotiations, California's Governor Jerry Brown laid out the stakes in stark and blunt terms.
2: You're going to see mass migrations, vector diseases, forest fires,
1: uh, Southern California burning up. That's real, guys. This isn't for me. I'm going to be dead. It's for you. It's for you, and it's damn real. Well, he is 79 years old.
0: Yes, he is. But major environmental justice groups say that Governor Brown gave away too many concessions to the state's powerful oil industry and that the bills won't do enough to meet California's ambitious targets or cut pollution. That's according to R.L. Miller, elected chair of the state Democratic Party's Environmental Caucus and founder of the grassroots group Climate Hawks Vote in an interview with the broadcast. The problem with it is that the people who live next to the refineries Mm -hmm. in
2: California have correctly pointed out that this is not doing a darn thing to make their lives any better. And the simple fact that the bill will not enable us to meet our 2030 goals.
1: Nonetheless, whether it is enough, whether it is good enough, it is good to see states taking action on their own. And it should be noted this was a bipartisan effort that passed the California state legislature with two thirds of the vote in both houses.
0: Yes, and of course the devil is always in the details. But these are the kinds of policy debates that we need to be having so that voters can make informed choices about the challenges we have ahead.
1: Now let's go back to fighting about whether climate change even exists or not.
0: The Trump administration is, of course, moving in the opposite direction. The Interior Department is reopening U.S. Arctic waters for offshore drilling, granting new permits to an Italian oil company to drill in Alaska's Beaufort Sea, learning nothing, apparently, from Shell Oil's tragic comedy of errors in its failed attempt to drill in the harsh extremes of the Arctic just a few years ago.
1: Well, maybe this will be even funnier.
0: Why is that? Well,
1: Italian accents, even funnier when they run aground.
0: <laughs> oh. Finally, the CEO of one of the country's largest railroads, Hunter Harrison of CSX, told analysts this week that his company won't be buying any new rail cars for transporting fossil fuels. That's because he says, quote, fossil fuels are dead. He says they're not going to go away overnight, but he sees no future for it in the long term.
1: Wow. Fossil fuels are dead? Yep. Glad to hear it. And not a moment too soon. For much more on all of these reports and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us, follow us, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Well, it's all- Is it? Are we going to the end of the line on fossil fuels? With fossil fuels, definitely. Well, nobody told Donald Trump, apparently. Do I have time for this before I get out Yeah, Donald Trump on uh, Monday boasted that the nation added 45,000 mining jobs recently. Did you hear about that?
0: Yeah. Apparently
1: there is uh, no data to back that up, Uh, but there is uh, data to back up that. 800, just 800, not 45,000, 800 coal mining jobs have been created during uh, Trump's tenure. He said on uh, Monday uh, in Pennsylvania two weeks ago, they opened a mine, the first mine that was opened in decades. Well, we picked up 45,000 mining jobs in a very short period of time, he said. This was an event uh, pegged to American manufacturing. Everybody was saying, well, you won't get any mining jobs. Well, we picked up 45,000 mining jobs, he said. The miners are very happy with Trump and with Pence, and we're very proud of that. He talks about himself in third person there. Um, and I guess they told him, I guess, that they picked up 45,000 mining jobs.
0: Not sure where he gets that data. Well,
1: it m- maybe comes from here. The Bureau of Labor Statistics estimated that there are, uh, in total, just fifty thousand uh, coal mining jobs nationwide, eight hundred of which have been added since Trump took office. And by the way, in the six months prior to that, under uh, the Obama administration, thirteen hundred coal jobs were added. So, coal was doing better under uh, Trump than uh, under Obama than Trump. In any event, EPA uh, Secretary Scott Pruitt. This is where the numbers come from. He made a similar claim speaking about all mining and logging jobs earlier oh. this year. Uh, that was where this number apparently came from, uh, and it earned a PolitiFact ruling of mostly false BLS data estimates the nation has added roughly 41,500 new mining and logging jobs in the first six months of 2017, but less than 1,000 of them are mining.
0: Well, details are not Trump's strong suit. I, neither are facts or or even reality. <laughs> yeah, so.
1: why start now? Uh, by the way, that Pennsylvania mine that did open uh, that he touted on Monday, that's expected to create 70 jobs. So 70 Eight hundred forty-five thousand. Who can keep track of such things? Anyway, uh, thank you very much, Dazzy Doyen, our producer. And uh, thanks to my guest today, Elizabeth Hagen of Families USA, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Please feel free to send me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate to help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. You can also find, follow, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Goodbye,
0: everybody.